listening to Vet Candy. Welcome to Unmasking the Opioid Crisis, a Veterinarian's Vital Role Unveiled, presented by Vet Candy and brought to you by Covetris. Join me, your host, Clay Palmer, on this educational podcast journey as we delve deep into the opioid crisis, tracing its roots from the 1980s to present day. Throughout this series, we'll explore the history of opioids and examine the consequences of decades of use in the U.S. To shed light on the current state of this crisis, we'll talk with leading experts, highlighting the crucial role veterinarians play in safeguarding the health of their patients, their communities, and even themselves. Be right back with more vet candy. This show is brought to you by the Covetris Break Free Breakaway IV Connector. Are you tired of dealing with the hassle of IV dislodgements and line breakages during critical treatments? Well, we've got great news for you. Introducing the Covetris Break Free Breakaway IV Connector, the game-changing innovation that will revolutionize your clinic's workflow. As a busy veterinarian, I used to struggle with IV issues, wasting precious time and resources. But ever since I started using the Covetris Break Free Breakaway IV Connector, it's been a total game changer. With this device's anti-reconnect feature, I never have to worry about contamination after separation. Plus, the recess valves prevent bacterial contamination for up to two hours. Join veterinarians like Dr. Shannon in experiencing the ultimate time-saving hack in your clinic with the Covetris Break-Free Breakaway IV Connector. Don't let IV issues slow you down. Upgrade your clinic today and see the difference the Covetris Break-Free Breakaway IV Connector can make. Say goodbye to wasted time and hello to efficiency. Exclusively at Covetris. In December 2014, an alarming veterinary case emerged in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, shedding light on an unconventional form of opioid abuse. Heather Pereira, in her desperate quest to feed her addiction, resorted to intentionally harming her pet dog to obtain prescription medications. This shocking incident not only raised concerns about the depths to which addiction can drive individuals, but also highlighted a largely unnoticed facet of the opioid epidemic. Heather Pereira's journey into the world of vet shopping began innocuously. Her dog had a legitimate need for medication, having responded well to it in the past. A compassionate veterinarian provided the necessary prescription. However, within three days, Pereira returned, claiming that her child had accidentally disposed of the pills. Concerned for the animal's well-being, the vet obliged and prescribed the medication once more. The third visit, on December 4, 2014, set off alarm bells. The dog's previous wounds had not yet fully healed, and yet another injury was evident. Pereira's request for tramadol, a potent pain medication for dogs, persisted. Dr. Chad Bailey, the attending veterinarian, grew suspicious. The cut appeared unusually clean and precise, a stark contrast to typical injuries resulting from accidents or animal fights. Prompted by his growing unease, Dr. Bailey made a critical decision. He called the police, suspecting that Pereira might be intentionally harming her dog to obtain prescription medication. Pereira was subsequently taken into custody and later admitted to inflicting the injuries on her dog with a razor blade to secure tramadol. Shockingly, she had also employed the same tactic at a different veterinary clinic. 
While cases of vet shopping may appear relatively uncommon, they expose a distressing facet of the nation's opioid crisis. They underscore the lengths to which individuals will go to acquire drugs for personal use or resale on the street. As opioid-related deaths in the United States continue to rise, authorities grapple with addressing this newly discovered avenue of drug procurement. Though vet shopping raised concerns among veterinarians, some believe that publicizing the issue could inadvertently encourage drug addicts. Additionally, formal regulation might impose an added burden on veterinary professionals already navigating a complex landscape. Drugs, such as Trimadol and Valium, sometimes prescribed to pets, were being misused either independently or in combination with other opioids. Recognizing the seriousness of the issue, authorities like Massachusetts Middlesex District Attorney Marion T. Ryan initiated public education campaigns to curb vet shopping. The misuse of pet medications posed serious safety risk for both humans and animals. The ongoing opioid crisis demanded multifaceted efforts, with information serving as a vital tool in combating overdoses and deaths. While many states had implemented prescription drug monitoring programs to track controlled prescription drugs, most did not require veterinarians to report their prescriptions. Heather Pereira's disturbing case served as a stark reminder to the far-reaching consequences of the opioid epidemic. It unearthed a lesser-known aspect of drug abuse, bringing to light the desperate measures individuals may resort to in pursuit of opioids. The story of vet shopping emphasized the need for awareness, education, and careful consideration of regulatory measures. In the ongoing battle against opioid misuse, it was essential to navigate these challenges while prioritizing the welfare of both humans and animals. Dr. Martha Smith Blackmore is the founder and president of Forensic Veterinary Inspections. She is also an adjunct assistant clinical professor at Tufts University Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. There was a case in North Carolina where a woman had been prescribed Stadol, I don't know how to say it, human drug, S-T-A-D-O-L, which is what we call butorphanol for migraine. She became addicted, so she ended up making 180 veterinary visits to a total of 24 veterinarians, and she obtained 7,568 dog-sized doses of Torbitrol. And this was incredibly expensive for her because her out-of-pocket expenditures were likely to be about $55,000. There's unfortunately, because we do prescribe um, tramadol and fentanyl patches for excruciating pain, you know, like cancer pain. There have been cases where people have replaced the drug in the pill form with aspirin or something like that and to the, you know, somebody in the owner's family and they're not aware. And so they're giving their pet aspirin and it's not touching the pain or uh, fentanyl, they're peeling off fentanyl patches and, and making tea with them or something like that. But when somebody steals an animal's drugs for their own purposes, that is animal cruelty. And that can be prosecuted as animal cruelty. People who are coming to the veterinarian and they're seeking drugs may have behaviors that can be spotted. They may be repeatedly bringing in different animals with the same story, which doesn't make any sense. Or they may describe clinical signs that are not consistent with the physical exam. I know there was a case of a, a guy who taught a dog how to cough when it was undergoing a physical exam because he wanted cough suppressant drugs. So looking at the veterinarian who is maybe has old or incomplete vet records, they might say, oh, my old vet used to prescribe blah, blah, blah. Well, ask for those records. 
So you can see that they really were being prescribed that. Um, and as I said, the clinical signs that are inconsistent with the findings on exam or describing clinical signs that require a specific medication. My dog has thunderstorm anxiety and the only drug he can have for that is fentanyl. <laughs> I mean, that's not realistic, but something like that. Um, and also requesting the medications by their commercial name you know, might be an indicator too that they're drug shopping because they're showing a certain level of awareness. It could be that they're in the medical field and they know those ter that terminology as well. But just things to keep on your radar as, huh, is this person drug shopping? If you're trying to prescribe a non-steroidal and they're insisting on another addictive type medication or a potentially addictive medication that has to raise some red flags as well. The opioid crisis has been making headlines for years with devastating consequences for individuals, families, and communities across the United States. While much of the attention has rightfully focused on human health care providers, pharmaceutical companies, and patients, a significant piece of the puzzle has remained largely overlooked, veterinarians. Reporting your suspicions of animal cruelty may be mandated depending on the state that you live in. It may be permissive reporting, so you may have specific protections under the law. But I always advise that any veterinarian that has a suspicion of deliberate animal maltreatment or neglect, that they make the report whether or not they're mandated, whether or not they have permissive reporting. And there are ways to protect yourself through liability insurance and other ways to, in case something arises out of it and your state, state law doesn't explicitly explain what kind of protections you have. It's our moral responsibility to society to report our suspicions. So now where to report? Boy, oh boy, I wish it was easy. Um, I like to recommend that people call the police department in the community where the, it's believed the animal was injured. Don't call 911, call the local police station, ask to speak with a detective, tell them that you're a veterinarian. Veterinarians who hold licenses from the Drug Enforcement Agency possess the authority to prescribe, administer, and dispense narcotics in clinical settings. This unique position places them at the intersection of animal health and the opioid epidemic. If you look for these stories, you can see them over and over and over again, oftentimes reported by parents. You know, he was a football star. She was a cheerleader. There was this injury at school. It was, you know, a break. It was bad. While they were in the hospital, they were prescribed an opioid and they became addicted. And then they start the drug-seeking behavior and opioids literally hijack people. They literally take away their ability to abstain. So even if they want to stop, they can't. They impair their behavioral control so that they can't act in the way that they think they should act. It creates this craving or increased hunger for the drugs and the reward of actually taking the drug. And as that progresses, there will be a diminished recognition of the problems that their addiction is creating with relationships. And then it also creates um, dysfunctional emotional response. So these people become, through the hijacking of their systems, become absolutely crippled. And the crippling of the opioid epidemic affects our patients. It affects animals because I don't know if you've ever seen the photograph of the parents or uh, the caretaker of a toddler who was, he was in his car seat and I think it was in Ohio. The parents both passed out from, I think it was guardians. I don't think they were actually the parents. They may have been the grandparents, but they were both passed out in the vehicle and the kid's awake strapped into a seat. 
if people are failing to care for their children, for which we have a biological driver, it should be innate that we're first putting them first, feeding them, clothing them, making sure they're safe. But if your system can be hijacked enough that you're not going to take care of your children, you're certainly not taking care of your pets. And so the opioid addiction crisis in America has caused a crisis of neglect of animals that become emaciated, become so matted, so filthy that they have ulcers and sores. I've seen this in my casework as a forensic veterinarian. I've seen it over and over again, where animals are abandoned in apartments because people are evicted because of their addiction, where animals are left in crates, so they have no access to food and water. That, for me, is the bigger animal welfare emergency related to our opioid crisis is that people become unable to care for the animals. Obviously, we as veterinarians having these substances in our practices, we're responsible for who has access to them. So we need to make sure that we're keeping our staff safe and that we're doing the right record keeping and making sure that we're not leaking drugs into somebody's system that is going to end up becoming an addict. A recent study conducted in Colorado sheds light on the role of veterinarians in the opioid crisis and highlights the urgent need for action within the veterinary community. A survey of 189 Colorado veterinarians revealed troubling findings. Intentional harm to animals. 13% of veterinarians were aware of instances where animal owners intentionally harmed or feigned illnesses in animals to obtain opioid medications. Opioid abuse or misuse. 44% were aware of opioid abuse or misuse by either a client or a staff member within the veterinary practice. Staff opioid abuse and diversion. 12% were aware of opioid abuse and diversion by veterinary staff members. These findings underscore the need for immediate action to address prescription opioid diversion in our profession. They can be very crafty in the way they take the medications. They might underfill a prescription. So they'll put 30 tablets on the bottle label and put 28 pills in the vial, or they'll slip a volume of injectable medication out of a vial and replace it with water. It's not just the record keeping, but oversight as well and and double checks to make sure that everybody's doing everything appropriately. I also like to talk about The Gift of Fear. It's a great book, but it's also a great philosophy to have. If, if, If something seems to you just not quite right, it's probably reason for you to open your eyes a little wider and take a closer look. You know, if there's someone that used to be a really good employee and now they are constantly late, there's an attitude change. You know, it's quite possible that an addiction process is underway. On my path to becoming a full-time forensic veterinarian, at the time there was no advanced degree program and I wanted to have some more proper formal experience before I opened my business, hung my shingle and said, I'm a forensic veterinarian. So I arranged a fellowship at the office of chief medical examiner in Boston. And I attended over 400 autopsies and I learned an awful lot about uh, process, record keeping. And in talking to the medical examiners, I, I learned about how to form opinions, how to express them in court. It, the whole experience was incredibly invaluable. But the biggest eye-opener for me was every day I went into the medical examiner's office to observe necropsies, there were four or five beautiful young dead people. And they were dead because of the opioid crisis. And so that's why I developed this strong interest in opioids and how to use them responsibly and how to respond to them. And I like to talk about opioids as a triple, triple threat to animal welfare. And we talked about that the addict can't care for themselves, they're not going to care for their animals. And we talked about um, people could potentially 
have drug-seeking behavior that includes injuring an animal in order to get those drugs. But also, I work closely with a lot of police departments, and so I'm often answering questions about what do I do if the canine who's working, the working canine, gets exposed to an opiate drug while working. I sought more training for myself in order to provide those uh, folks with good advice. Opiate overdose, it suppresses the uh, respiratory center, and so the drive to breathe slows down and fluid starts to build up in their lungs. So um, they can lose consciousness and die, succumb to their pulmonary edema. So it's, it's vital that if you suspect an opioid exposure, definitely treat them. Give them the naloxone, uh, whether it's the injectable that you get through your distributor or whether you want to have the nasal spray available because you can use those in animals as well. But don't become singularly focused because I've I've heard of cases where sheriff's office run a dog into the vet clinic saying he was exposed to fentanyl. And then everybody gets on the fentanyl bandwagon and they treat the dog for fentanyl and nobody bothers to take the dog's temperature as actually collapsed from hyperthermia. So we have to, you know, we have to remember that just because it looks like a duck and it's walking like a duck, it might not be a duck. Some states are taking the war on opioids into veterinarians' offices, aiming to prevent people who are addicted from opioids from using their pets to procure drugs for their own use. The states of Colorado and Maine recently enacted laws that allow or require veterinarians to check the prescription histories of pet owners as well as their pets. And Alaska, Connecticut, and Virginia have imposed new limits to the amount of opioids a vet can prescribe. Veterinarians typically do not dispense such widely abused drugs as Vicodin, Oxycontin, or Percocet, but they do dispense Tramadol, a painkiller, and Hydrocodone, an opiate used to treat coughing in dogs, both controlled substances that people abuse. So Colorado and Maine have laws that require veterinarians to check the prescription histories of the pet owners and their pets. Arkansas, Connecticut, and Virginia have limits on the amount of opioids a vet can prescribe. So the states will have prescription monitoring programs called PMPs that allow physicians or other practitioners to check a patient. But in some states, it also requires that veterinarians check these same lists. And it may be a hassle to do so, but when you're required to do something, by not doing it, you put yourself at tremendous liability. So let's say you're required to check this prescription registry, the PMP, in your state, and you don't do it because you don't feel like doing it, and you prescribe a drug, you dispense a drug that a person then abuses. They ingest it and overdose. Can their family sue your practice, sue you? I think it's quite possible. There's a very strong, compelling reason right then and there. If you are mandated to check your PMP, you better because your insurance company is not going to stand behind you if you don't do what you're supposed to do. But even as some states push for veterinarians to assess people's records, many practitioners maintain they're unqualified to do so. And while a handful of states require vets to check the prescription histories of pet owners, about two-thirds of states explicitly prohibit it. Veterinarians may be uncomfortable seeing information about controlled substances prescribed for their clients. And if the veterinarian suspects a client is abusing drugs, what then? State Prescription Drug Monitoring Programs, or PDMPs, allow physicians and other practitioners to check a patient's medical history. But at least 32 states do not require veterinarians to report any dispensing information on the PDMP, according to the National Alliance for Model State Drug Laws. 
So I think it's important for veterinarians to understand the opioid crisis and how we got here. Many veterinarians already understand it because they have family members that have fallen to it or staff members and things like that. But I, I think to talk about how huge the opioid crisis is and then to talk about the fact that even though a lot of the drugs that get talked about, fentanyl and tramadol and xylazine, they're drugs that we use, and ketamine, they're drugs that we use, um, but it doesn't mean that the source of street xylazine is from diversion from veterinary sources. We have a massive production, illicit production of these um, drugs happening mostly in China and then getting trafficked into the U.S. through Mexico. So even though they have the names xylazine, ketamine, fentanyl, Generally, they're not coming from us. Do veterinarians have to be aware that it's a risk? Absolutely. But most addicts will pass through the phase of where cheating veterinarians is going to satisfy their appetite. Most, and it's cheaper, it's easier, it's more accessible. Just go to the net or go to the street and get your drugs. I want veterinarians to be alert and aware, but not scared. Or feeling so responsible, like, oh, my God, I can't believe we've done this with xylazine and we're giving all these people horrible ulcers. No, it's coming from outside of our country. Veterinarians often prescribe synthetic opioids, a class of opioids associated with significant increase in drug-related overdose deaths. These opioids, originally intended for animal use, are commercial-grade pharmaceuticals with the potential to be diverted and abused by humans. Shockingly, the extent of such diversion and misuse remains largely unknown despite its implications for both human and animal welfare. It's a double-edged sword, right? We absolutely need to use pain medications because it's the uh, American College of Veterinary Anesthesiologists says if a procedure is painful in people, you have to assume it's equally painful in animals. And so you can also extrapolate from that if an injury is painful in people, it's going to be equally painful in animals. So we have to use pain medication. We have to address pain. That's a huge welfare problem for animals. And back in the olden days, yeah, the old school vets would say, oh, we don't want to put them on pain meds because then they'll just break the leg again. Let's, we need the pain to keep them immobile. We'll keep them still. That's very, very debunked. We have to use these drugs and we have to use them judiciously and responsibly. So it just requires being engaged with local law, understanding what's going on, the patient, the owner, your staff, and yourself. What's going on? How are these leaving my hospital? And are my patients benefiting from appropriate pain control? And what else can we be doing to help prevent animal suffering? Dr. Rachel Chrysler is an associate professor of shelter medicine and epidemiology at Midwestern University College of Veterinary Medicine. We address it as part of our recognizing animal cruelty training because deliberate injury of an animal is is animal cruelty, whatever your motivation is for for uh, doing it. And so some of the same red flags that you would expect if there was any type of deliberate harm. So most of this is stories that don't add up, injuries you know that are inconsistent with description of what happened. You know, some things that we kind of have borrowed from the human side is uh, we get a little bit worried if people are asking for drugs by name, you know, or sort of, uh, you know, brand name or, you know, they kind of come in and they know what the treatment is and they're going to ask for the the very specific treatment. So those are some of the very typical animal cruelty and drug seeking behaviors. People aren't medical doctors. Maybe they think they know what happened and they want to provide a explanation. So, you know, certainly not every instance of that is an indication that animal cruelty has occurred, but it does raise our index of concern. And then we can start to try to 
find out a little bit more about um, what actually happened. Or I know in the shelter system, we often have, you know, sort of good Samaritans who find an animal, let's say, by the side of the road. They want to um, sort of, oh, my goodness, it it must have been hit by a car, right? So you come in and and they bring it in. And by the time the whole thing gets to you, it's turned into the, you know, you know, the make, the model and exactly what happened. And of course, there's many reasons, you know, unfortunately, an animal could be found by the side of the road. And but people want to, you know, understand what happened and kind of tie together and make sense of the world. And so we get concerned if we hear some of these stories. But we also know that um, it also could be somebody's way of trying to make sense of a world, you know, they 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 find it their their pet hurt and you know oh my goodness it must have done something which of course they never actually saw so we try not to be judgmental but we also try to be aware and not contribute to a problem so you know just like you'd try to work through a clinical diagnosis we'd kind of try to work through the scenario a little bit more and uh, see if we can understand what's what's happening and you know a lot of folks may or may not know this but you know your responsibility as a veterinarian even in a state that requires you to report suspected animal cruelty is not to determine that the cruelty happened it's just to say i am concerned this may have happened and then legally it's in the hands of the justice system to determine whether or not cruelty occurred so that is not your responsibility it's simply to provide the information and the facts and and then let the appropriate um, legal entity actually decide if cruelty occurred We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, fellow veterinary professionals. I'm Dr. Shannon Gregoire, and I want to share my experience with the Covetris Break Free Breakaway IV Connector, the innovative IV device that's been a total game changer. Now, let me tell you, using this device has been a breath of fresh air in our daily workflow. No more worrying about dislodged IV lines or struggling with line breakages during critical treatments. Covetris Break-Free Breakaway IV Connectors Anti-Reconnect feature is a lifesaver. It ensures that once the line separates, there's no chance of contamination. Plus, the recessed valves prevent bacterial contamination for up to two hours after separation. It's like they thought of everything. Another standout feature is how it connects with standard ISO lure connectors, making it compatible with our existing equipment. It's super convenient and easy to use. And let's talk about the numbers. Break Free has been shown to significantly reduce IV restarts by 65%. That's a huge time saver and reduces stress for both our team and our patients. It's not just about efficiency, it's about providing top-notch care for our patients. So, if you're looking for an IV accessory that enhances your clinic's performance and ensures your patients get the best care, I highly recommend giving Covetris Break-Free Breakaway IV Connector a try, exclusively at Covetris. Unmasking the Opioid Crisis, a Veterinarian's Vital Role Unveiled, was written by Dr. Jill Lopez and Omar Lopez and is a Vet Candy production. Special thanks to the University of Buffalo, the Association of Shelter Veterinarians, Veterinary Telespeciality by VOCN, and the Chapman Law Group. Please check the show comments below for information about how to get continuing education credit plus recommended breeding. If you enjoyed the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Even better, leave a rating or a comment. It really helps others find the show. For Vet Candy, I am Clay Palmer. We will be back next week. And thank you for listening.
Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.